You're listening to the Remembering and Longing Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're celebrating all God has done in our J-Town family and looking forward to where He's leading us. Today, we are we're starting just a, a short series that I'll work through the end of August, and then we'll jump back into the Matthew uh, starting in the first of September, and, and we do this usually about every year where we spend a few weeks just talking about uh, what we might call vision, kind of like, you know, where we are and, and where we're headed, and I've, I've entitled this um, uh, kind of three weeks of uh, remembering and longing, and so uh, what, what my heart here is is that over these next three Sundays, uh, we'll do some time of remembering and at the same time remembering and celebrating and thanking God for what He's done in our midst and, that at the, and in that, we would also have a longing for God to do more of this. And so today, uh, and hopefully you felt this as you walked into the building, uh, we, I want us to remember and, and really celebrate and thank God for what he has done here uh, over the last nine years that we've been in existence. And so you, you see some photos uh, as you walk into the atrium. Hopefully you have watched a little bit of a slide presentation at the beginning. It'll go on during the middle. And the reason why those photos are there. Um, is, is I don't know about you, but I, but I have a tendency to kind of have, um, it's hard to sometimes see the work of God in my own life, especially within a, um, a church that I lead, because you're, uh, you're just kind of getting through the day-to-day, right? You know, sometimes it's hard to even see where, where God really is working in you when you're, you know, busy changing diapers, wiping snotty noses, trying to fix supper, get lunch ready, you know, get to work, do your deal. You know what I'm saying? You're just kind of going through the day-to-day, and by being in the day-to-day, everything kind of gets like this before you, and you don't ever see what God has really been doing in your midst and in your life until you step back and you get perspective. And sometimes we get perspective by looking at pictures. So, you know, one of the pictures up here is... um, where I got a chance to baptize Joseph, uh, which is really beautiful. And sometimes you forget, oh, my gosh, he's like a young man now. Like, he's such a little bitty boy. And it's like his head's barely above the water. And I think he was like 11 at that time. This is like five, six years ago. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And you, you just get perspective, and you see physically how people are growing. And sometimes when you step back and get perspective, you see what God has really done in our midst. And so next month, we... Um, as I said, we celebrate nine years. So God started this church nine years ago, and, and I always uh, say that this was kind of like the, um, the oops congregation, and, and all I mean by that, hopefully it doesn't offend you, uh, all I mean by that is like, you know, in, in some ways when you're newly married, you kind of start planning when you want to have kids, and you know, you, you, you know how that happens, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, hopefully... Thank you for a few smiles, awkward smiles there. And you kind of like, all right, we're, we're ready to go. We're, we want to, you know, try to have children, and, and by God's grace, you have them. And sometimes, sometimes there are ones that like, ah, we're thankful that God gave us this gift, but we weren't necessarily, quote, unquote, uh, planning for this. It's kind of the, the and it sounds kind of derogatory, but I don't mean it derogatory, the eat, oops child. It's, it's, you, know, you thank God for them, but it's like, ah, we weren't planning on this. And I feel like that with our congregation because the leadership from day, you know, when they began to think about multi-site, they always had uh, kind of the East congregation that now meets out on Rudy Lane. They always had that on their mind and in their vision. They had our New Albany congregation that meets across the river, obviously, in Indiana. They had that on their mind and in their, 
and their, their desires, and even the South End, where we just started a new work um, called Surger in Carlisle, which is kind of closer to the Churchill Downs, that was always kind of on the heart and the radar of our leadership when we were thinking through multi-site. But J-Town, it just wasn't. And so what we try to do um, a few years ago is we try to capture the sort of the origin story of how this, this, this congregation got started. And I know some of you have seen this video. We've shown this in our congregation f- several years ago. Uh, but I do think it's really fitting for us to see this again. Um, there's, there's a handful of people that have transitioned out of leadership that's in this video. Um, um, young lady, Elsie, you'll see her in just a minute. She was the first funeral we did here at J-Town. And so it was a little emotional, to be honest with you, for me to watch this because uh, I hadn't looked at this in several years. And it was just a really um, good reminder for me to see what God's really done in our midst over nine years. And so, uh, so we're going to watch this video and Jim, we're going to dive in, all right? How many of you, is that your first time you've ever seen that video in the congregation? That's why in here. Look at this. Turn around. Look at all that. Wow. Yeah, the Lord has been very, very faithful to us over uh, the nine years we've been in existence. Uh, since that video has been made, uh, we have seen um, continued growth here, and we just thank God for that. We've seen our giving grow literally almost doubled um, Five years ago, we probably had a budget around $500,000. We were always short of that, sometimes uh, $100,000 in the hole. Um, and the last two years, we have had either met, we've not only met budget, but we have exceeded budget over the last two years. And this past uh, summer, we just approved a, a little over $900,000 budget. Uh, we've seen our membership grown over the last five years from 200 to uh, well over 400. Uh, we've seen our staff doubled, uh, even though we're, in a season where that's kind of shrunk, we're, we're, we're working on that. Uh, we see our groups in a more healthier place. We're going to have um, seven new couples that we're commissioning to lead groups next Sunday. I uh, really encourage you to come back and be a part of that. We are uh, working toward launching two new groups within our, our community here within the, hopefully by the end of the year, first part of ne- next year. Uh, we've absolutely restructured how we do multi-site, so we're no longer... Uh, we don't longer use the language of like being uh, one church in four different locations. We're, we're one name, Sojourn, and five local churches. So we are an, an autonomous church that has chosen to be a part of a collective or a family of churches uh, called Sojourn Collective. And um, we are longing to see God continue to do more and more of this kind of work in our midst. But here's what I, I, I want to do today, and I... And I I mean, I think there's, I mean, I can go on with more stats and numbers, and, and honestly, like, those kind of things bore me. It's like, you know, it's like, blah, 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 who gives a rip, right? Some of you really love that kind of stuff, and I'm kind of scratching an itch for you this morning, to be honest with you. It's like, some of you, like, get fired up when I talk a little bit about statistics and stuff, and so there's a place for that. Uh, but I, what I want to do this morning is I want to do something that's more in line with what, um, what we see Paul doing consistently in his New Testament letters. And so, in case you don't know who Paul is, Paul is a, a, a church planner uh, that wrote the second half of the New Testament, a lot of letters in there. And all of those letters were, were written to specific people, to specific churches and, and cities and in regions. And, and all of them, if, you know, except for one, right? 
Galatians is the one, all right? All of them always start off not celebrating, um, wow, the church in Philippi, you guys hit the 1,000 mark over Easter. Woohoo! right? Or, you know, the church in Corinth, you guys baptized 100 this year. Woohoo! That's, I mean, that's, all right, thanks for a little bit there. Um, that's not what we see. We see Paul um, looking at a deeper work and celebrating a deeper work that God can only do and, and acknowledging that and seeing that and saying, I want to thank God for this. And so there's a little passage in 2 Thessalonians, and I went back and forth on like, you know, do I bring in all these passages, all these letters, and, and unpack each place where he thanks God for specific things that are in the midst of this church? Or can I just camp out in one? And the Lord led me to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and these two verses. And I, and I do believe that the reason why he led me here is because I think these are the two things that we see primarily in our midst. And I want to celebrate that. And so look, look what he says here. Look how he, he always um, kind of begins every letter in a very similar fashion. Always kind of starts by talking about who it is that's, that's writing this letter. And you see this in verse 1 of chapter 1. Uh, and it says there's Paul, Sabanus, or so whatever his name is, Timothy, uh, to the church of Thessalonians and God our Father. I think it's on the screen. If it's not, it's in your bulletin there. And the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he dives into this idea of just giving thanks. Verse 3, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. And you see this over and over in every one of his letters except for Galatians. And there's a reason for that. They were really messy, right? So that's a sermon for another day, and we went through Galatians a few months ago. But every letter always starts with, hey, this is who I am. This is who's writing you. Grace and peace to you. And we thank God. And I love how Paul even says it here in verse 3. We ought, and it's fitting. We ought, and rightly so. So it's like there's this um, internal obligation within Paul to give thanks for what he's seeing in the midst of the church in Thessalonica. It's not like um, it's formulaic. It's not like someone is saying, hey, this is what you've got to do. Here's the formula you necessarily follow. And so he's there trying to make up something to thank God for this church. No, it's like he sees it. He, he knows it. And so there's, there's something in him that, that almost feels like an obligation to thank God for the work that's happening here, and he does this enthusiastically. And rightly so, and all he's meaning by that is that it's fitting. So, so whenever this, this letter is read, and he's giving thanks to God for these specific things about them, it's fitting, it's rightly so. No, one, no one's hearing this letter going, who's he talking about, right? Like this... This doesn't match my experience. You know, you're, you're talking about these things about this church and thanking God for them. Ah, that seems a little foreign. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you know, you got your mail messed up. Maybe it's supposed to go to the church in Philippi. I mean, this, this place is nothing like that. No, when people are hearing this letter, they are basically in agreement with Paul and what he's thanking God for what he's seeing. And I love this. And, and the reason why I love this is because 
what it, what it seems like Paul is doing here, and I think it's so good for us, it's almost like he's, he's saying, look, before I even address the problem, and that's what we got to recognize. It's not like, you know, Paul is, you know, out of reality and trying to kind of live in this, you know, world of make-believe where everything's wonderful in this church. Everybody loves each other. They're high-fiving. They're, you know, all kinds of... No, it, he recognizes that the church is still a mess. And every one of his letters, he's addressing a problem. That's why he's writing the letter. There's something going on wrong in the church. There's a mess. There's a situation. There's factions, divisions, disunity, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in these churches. And so he's writing these letters to address a problem. Before he ever addresses the problem, what does he do first? I'm going to affirm. I'm going to celebrate the work that God is doing. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to find specific things that are in this church and say, thank you, God, for how you're at work. Before I ever address the problem, I know the church is messy. I know it's got problems, but you know what we're going to do first? We're going to first put on our little glasses, so to speak, and we're going to look and identify the ways that God has been at work in this church, and we're going to celebrate them. I mean, it's one of the things that I have so appreciated um, with being involved in grace marriage. And so <clears throat> we had our, um, one of our coaching days yesterday. And so in, in case you're unfamiliar with where grace marriage is, it's, it's a ministry that we launched this year to where uh, four times a year we get together as couples and we work on our marriage. That, that's all we're doing. It's, it's a great day. It's been, a, um, yeah, been extremely fruitful in, my, in the life of my wife and I. Uh, and just, I've loved it, and I don't know why I keep calling her my wife. Her name's Kathy, all right? So Kathy and I. And one of the things that you do every time you get together, the first thing you do is what's called eye exam. And all that basically is, is you are taking time to speak to your spouse and say, this is what I'm thankful for. Here's what I see in you that I want to celebrate about you. So yesterday, it was just like laying out characteristics that you're thankful for for your wife, specific things that you're seeing in your wife's spirituality and how she's growing in her faith, things that you specifically see in her work ethic, you know, even remembering things that you did before you got married for dating and all that kind of stuff. And you're, and you're spending time not only writing these down, but then you're talking to one another about this. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't come natural. Like if I was... Like if I would sit down on a date night and say, hey, babe, I want to tell you what I'm thankful for about you. And here's the list. I know exactly what Kathy's going to be thinking, right? All right. What do you want, right? You know what I'm saying? And so it's, it's good and fitting for us once a quarter, no strings attached, we're sitting down and talking about what we're thankful for for one another before we start addressing problems. And that's what Paul does here. And if I'm just kind of laying my cards on the table like, um, like this is hard for me. In the context of doing this for a church that I lead and that I've been pastoring for almost nine years. 
I think one of the hardest questions for me to answer is when people come to me, and they do this in, in, in good ways, man, and they want to know. Um, I, I think they do. I don't know. But they'll ask me, like, how's the church going? And that's a hard question to answer. Like, do you really want to know? I mean, really, do you? Do you have, like, 20 minutes? Do you have, like, an hour where I can sit down with you and really have a conversation about how the church is going? Or do you want the one-minute answer? Good. And even when I, I say things, and Kathy's helping me with this a lot, but sometimes I'll, I'll always say, hey, yeah, things are going well, and I'll point out specific things that are going well, but in me, I can't leave it there. I can't just leave it with like, man, here's what's going well. And we thank God for that. I'm always bringing in something kind of like, but you know, right, it's a church. And there's a lot of messy people, and it's a struggle. Like, it's always, I've got to bring in a negative aspect. Almost like, I don't know, like, the stuff I'm working on, guys, I'm still in process just like all of us in this room. But today, what I want to do, and I'm doing this to myself, is I'm shutting up that little voice that's going, as I even celebrate what God is doing in this room and what he's done in our midst over nine years, here's the little voice that's going on in my head even now, and it'll get louder as the day goes on. But Lyle, what about this person? But Lyle, oh yeah, I know you're celebrating this aspect, but Lyle, isn't that why so-and-so left? But Lyle, I don't think that's why everyone experiences here, but Lyle, but Lyle, that's the voice that I'm hearing even as I stand up here and celebrate and thank God for what he's done in our midst. And so by the power of God that still dwells in me, I'm trying to shut that voice up this morning. And I'm asking you to shut it up. Because all of us have a tendency, not every one of us, I know, I get it, most of us, or some of us in here, look at everything wonderful and a beautiful light and everything's good and awesome, but a lot of us put on the eyes of a critic, and we're always quick to find things that are wrong. You better believe there's things wrong in this church. If it's your first Sunday, sorry to burst your bubble, right? It's like maybe you're hoping that it'll be different here. I'm hoping it is, but the reality is, is you've got a bunch of people in this room that are still sinning, and we will, we will until Jesus comes back, and so we're not perfect, it's not that we don't have problems, we're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks, but today, we're going to celebrate what God's done, and there's two things here in this passage that I want to just unpack briefly the two things I want to celebrate in us that I see that God's been doing since day one, and that is this, honesty and love. Honesty and love. Now, where do I see that? Well, look at verse 3. These are the two specific things that he unpacks and sees in this church. The first one is here. We ought to thank God always for you, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since what? Your faith is, is flourishing. Your faith is growing abundantly. Your faith is growing more and more. Your faith is growing like crazy. Your faith is growing like a weed. That's, that's 
That's what he's saying here. He's recognizing something in this body, and then what he sees is that there is a a growing trust in God. That's kind of synonymous with what he means by faith. There's a growing trust in God that that it's deepening, it's it's flourishing, it's it's ever-growing above and beyond. And what we see in this church is that this church is enduring a ton of persecution, a lot of difficulty, a lot of trials, stuff that we, um, we have not experienced in our nation at all. I mean, I think we're headed toward that, but most of us in this room probably will not experience it. But this church here is experiencing extreme difficulty, extreme persecution, um, being cast out of their own families, out of their own towns. I mean, it's It is really tough to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this city. And what Paul is noticing, that even in the midst of circumstances that would make them doubt the very love of God, that would make them doubt the very care of God, that would make them doubt whether God is really for them, he sees in them a deepening trust in who God has said about himself and what God has said about them. That's what he's noticing. Their faith, even though it should not be flourishing because they're in a circumstance that would make it seem like they shouldn't be, but their faith is flourishing. Their active trust in God is deepening. And I see that with us. I know for some of you, you're probably saying, what do you mean by that? Because we're not in any kind of persecution like the church in Thessalonica is. And so you're saying, what in the world, how do you see this same parallel? Well, this is how I see the same parallel. Your, your faith and your trust is deepening, and that is seen in the kind of honesty and genuineness that's in this community. So please hear me. And I might repeat this. I might be getting ahead of my notes just a little bit. I'm not talking about an honesty and a genuineness that's getting... Um, kind of popular within our culture where honesty and genuineness is an end in itself. Are, are you following me? There's a, there's a desire in our society, our culture, just to be honest for honest sake or to be genuine for, honest, for genuine sake. It's, it's an end in itself, not within this community. Our honesty has a means to an end. Our genuineness It's so that we can get on the pathway in order for God to restore, redeem, um, bring back healing, or bring us in in better relationships with one another. Honesty is is a path to wholeness, so to speak. And I'm here to tell you guys, look, if there's not a deepening trust in what God says about you now that you are in Christ, then you will not be honest. You won't. You won't be honest with yourself, you won't be honest with one another, and you will not be honest with God. And so therefore, all of your relationships have kind of a fakiness to them. But if there's a deepening trust in what God says about you and Christ, then there's an honesty with yourself. And that honesty bleeds out into honesty with one another, and that honesty is expressed in your honesty before the Lord. And that's not in full, right? But I'm telling you, that has been present in this community, and I thank God for it. 
Just got an email this week. A good one. Amen? So, and I, sometimes I say things up here and I probably need to stop. I, like, the majority of emails in nine years have been wonderful and awesome. I just am being silly and stupid. So, please, you know, I, I know, gosh, majority of them are wonderful. Thank you. Got one this week that reminded me of what it is, and I'm thankful for what God's done in our midst as far as the honesty that's being expressed in this community. Here's what this person says, and I'm jumping into the middle of this, so, but it will make sense. Also, I really think that it's been such a help to me to be in a church where it's, where it's okay to be broken. I don't know where I'd be if I weren't even, uh, if I weren't in a church like this, I would be even more self-condemning of myself um, so thanks for having a way of being at Sojourn that acknowledges that. I have found that as I have shared with people, even this morning, talking about this past Sunday where we spent some time praying with one another, even this morning with someone I didn't even know, that I'm dealing with anxiety and depression and ask for prayer for more progress. With the new therapist that I've started with, the response was gracious, even positive. And the young man I talked with then said he dealt with it as well. I have actually had people say that my openness on it has helped them. And I can't see how any good could come out of this. But at the same time, I'm seeing it. People are helped by the freedom to state their sin and weakness instead of hiding. That's a work of God. And I give thanks to that. That we've created a place and we've created a space where people can come and struggle. And be honest with that struggle without fear of someone saying, I've got to fix your struggle. That I can come with my doubts and be honest with those doubts not saying, hey, I just want to stay here. That's not what we want. You don't want that. I don't want to stay in the midst of my doubts. I want, I want to be on a path where that, that maybe will find some healing, maybe find some relief, and that path is honesty. And so I can come here with my doubts and share my doubts with others without fear that they're going to try to fix it because sometimes, guys, we can't. The best we can do sometimes is just to hold it and love them, and express compassion on them, and pray for them. And guys, look, there are many conversations that I have with you guys after church where you come and express where you're at honestly, and in me, man, I'm wanting to offer a word, I'm wanting to offer something that'll fix it and make it feel better, but nine times out of ten, I'm just standing there going, look, I, let me just pray for you. I don't have an answer here. I don't have a trite memory verse to throw in your way that you need to do this or say this or believe this. All I can do in this situation is say, look, I affirm the kind of honesty and genuineness that you're bringing here, and I see that you desire to change and to grow, but let's just pray and bring this before Jesus because he's the one that can bring a genuine healing in your life. I can't fix it even though inside of me I want to. And so I thank God, I do, I thank God that over these last nine years of being together, we have created a space and a place 
where brokenness is the norm and not the exception. And I long for more of that in our midst. So we thank God that your faith is flourishing. There's a a deepening trust that is happening in our community and what God says about us in Christ, that we're safe, we're loved, we're valued, we're fully forgiven, and that is seen in the kind of honesty that's in this community. And I thank God for it. The second one is in the second half of verse 3, where he says this, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing, and look what he says here, and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. The love each one of you has for one another is increasing. I mean, this is a dream of a pastor, amen? To be able to look in their church community and see a love for one another that's increasing instead of seeing division, fighting, factions, backbiting, positioning, It's a dream of a pastor to look out in the congregation and look at a people that God's brought together and and you see their love for one another increasing. I skimmed through, um, as I was studying this, Chuck DeGroat's little book, Toughest People to Love, which is a great title for a book. And in one of the chapters or one of the paragraphs, he says this, that 80% of new pastors leave their ministry within five years. 80% of pastors leave their ministry leave the ministry, not just the church, leave the ministry within five years. And in this book, he said this, a friend of mine once remarked, if they were able to pastor churches without people, they might last 10 years. (laughs) Oh, thank you for laughing. Isn't that great? And he also remarks that this isn't just necessarily with the case within pastoral vocation. He talked about having a client that's also in the marketplace, in the tech world. And this guy said this, a client of mine, or he's referring back to the client, a client of mine in a, in a chaotic tech industry, overwhelmed by dysfunctional behavior of his bosses and those he supervised, said this, man, I love my machines, and they love me, but I hate people, and I think they're beginning to notice. <laughs> and so sometimes when we read like something like this, right, Like when we read Paul saying, I I thank God for the love that is increasing for one another in the church of Thessalonica. Sometimes we can think, it must be void of difficult people. They, They must just, I don't know, maybe they're just all connected really good and, you know, same stage of life, whatever it is. It must be void of difficult people, but we know it's not. We know it's not. Why? Because we're difficult. Amen? Like, I'm difficult. I'm hard to love. You're difficult. You're hard to love. And then we're all coming together (laughs) in this thing called church. And we're trying to love one another without having those emotional feelings that make it easy to love one another. We're trying to love one another who don't come from the same backgrounds and the same experiences and, and like the same things. We're, we're coming from totally different generations. And we're trying to come together 
and love one another. And so for Paul to look at the church in Thessalonica and say, I'm thanking God because of the love that you have for one another and that love is increasing and that's a work that only God can do. Because this is not CrossFit, right? Where everybody's, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, whatever, you know, you're with me. This isn't like a book club where everybody likes the same stuff. This is, like, this is a group of mixed up people, messy people who are coming from totally different backgrounds, all kinds of things that are working against us in order for us to love one another. But the Spirit of God comes in us and strengthens us to do this. That's why Jesus says it is the greatest apologetic. Not your canned arguments. Oh, I've got all the answers. Why I believe in God, why the scripture is from the word, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got all these kind of like, I got my canned answers. I'm ready for you. Bring it on. Now, Jesus says this in John chapter 13. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, what is this? Your love for one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you think, man, that sounds so simple, but it is really hard because we're hard people to love. But when I look at our body, once again, I'm not, yes, yes, this is not in full. There's some of you in this room will say, man, I'm not experiencing that. That's not my experience here. I, I get that. But there's a lot of you in here where you'll say, this is my experience. So who's right? I want to say, yes, they're both right. That's why we remember and celebrate and look what God has done here and say, wow, the love that you have for one another is increasing and we long, long for it to be more. We're not done. We're not like satisfied. Eh, we're doing amazing. Let's just check that off. We're, we're moving on to something else. No! Like if this is how the world, our community, is going to be convinced that Jesus is for real, then we're always going to grow in this. We've never arrived. So how do you see it, Lyle? Well, I see it in how we linger. I don't know if you've noticed that. When we get done with gatherings, when we get done with, with a members meeting, you guys won't go home. <laughs> I feel bad for Josh. It's like I've turned off the lights like a hundred times. Like We're locking the doors. Just make sure they're locked, right? But that's a beautiful thing. It shows an evidence that there's a love for one another. We didn't create the feast in order to make you linger. We created the feast to create more space for you to linger because you do it so stinking well, right? I see it in the joy and the laughter that's expressed and experienced and felt in this community. And that's an evidence of the love that we have for one another. Look at me, look, guys. When you go and hang out with people you love, it's not a stoic environment. It's not like, this is awesome. I really, I really love you. Isn't this great? 
No. Like when you're hanging around people that you love, it's loud. There's laughter. There's joy. And I see it here. I feel it here. I see it in the sacrifices that are made week in and week out. Group leaders stepping in the lives of people that are messy and hard to love, but doing it week in and week out. I see it in host homes or hosting groups and cleaning up messes and wiping down scrapes off a wall, whatever. But they're doing it because of their love for our people. And that love is increasing. I see it in kids servants who week in and week out are back there loving children and pointing them to Jesus Christ who are wiping noses and wiping butts. Amen, right? That's maybe not wiping butts, but you know what I'm saying. I see that. And yeah, maybe we need more, but man, I see a group of people that week in and week out are doing that. I see that in student leaders who every single Wednesday who are tired, they're exhausted, and they show up and they invest and they act like they're interested. Amen, right? Have you ever sat down with a sixth grader and hear their stories? It's like, come on, dude, man. Like, it is not drama, right? Let me give you drama for crying out loud, right? They don't do that. They hug. They listen. They weep with them. I see it in the individual couples that have stepped into people's messy lives, not with a posture to quickly fix them, but with a posture of love. And that posture looks like truth sometimes to hear something really hard. And sometimes our love looks like, hey, I'm on, I'm on a journey with you. The next year or two years kind of holding your story and we're going to work on this together. I thank God for the love that we have for one another here and it is increasing. And that's a work of the Spirit of God. Honesty in love. So I'll close with this. Um, think with me. When honesty is met with love, when honesty is met with compassion, it has a power to change someone in a dramatic, dramatic way. Think about that. Honesty that's met with love. I did a, a wedding yesterday, and I always read this quote out of Tim Keller, uh, a book on marriage, and I might be butchering it because I'm going off of memory right now. But he says this. He says, to, um, to be loved but not known is superficial. Are you following me? I mean, you like it. That's what happens when you're a teenager and young adult. Like, you just, you like kind of having a girlfriend or boyfriend, right? It's like, it kind of makes you feel good about yourself to be loved but not known. But you're not really fully known. They don't really know you, Right? You kind of hide. It's like, if you really know me, you'd break up with me, right? So, but you like it. That's really superficial, isn't it? To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Why? Because we all hate rejection. And that doesn't go away once you become a 20-year-old. That isn't something you deal with in middle school and high school. No, you deal with that the rest of your life. The fear of being fully known and then someone rejecting that. But to be fully known, honesty, and fully loved, that's a lot like it feels like to be loved by God. And that kind of love changes you. 
That's why I say every week, there's no other person that can change your life other than Jesus Christ. Because he knows you fully, whether you want him to or not. He knows everything about you. And his posture towards you is not this. It's not. Oh, gosh, no. It's a posture that's coming towards you with open hands to love you. And that line of love changes your life. So I'll end with this. We got a letter to our staff back in July. I've marked out places where you can't know who it is. But this is a, man, a beautiful picture of the power of when honesty is met with love and, and what it can do in a person's life. Listen to what this individual says. I'm not sure if you will remember me because it's been a long time. But you did my membership interview at Sojourn J-Town almost five years ago. And at that time, I was exhausted, depressed, and in a constant state of anxiety because of my childhood trauma, abuse done to me, and my own sin. I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. But at that, but at that point in my life, I didn't see how anyone could love me if they really knew me. Much less how Jesus could. The day you interviewed us, I was so ashamed and humiliated, but as I talked with you, I felt for the first, the, I felt first the slivers of healing light start to break through. You extended grace to me when I knew I was least deserving of it, and Jesus used that experience to encourage me to continue on. And over the last three years, I've been a part of care programs mentored by another lady, and through these agents of grace, I have learned the power of Christ's forgiveness and am living more free than I ever had. If your humble and compassionate reaction had been different that day, I may have ended up in a totally different place. Honesty met with love has a power to change a life. And may God do more and more of that in our midst. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.